So today we begin this four-week journey that's, as a Christian church called Advent, the four weeks that lead up to Christmas Eve. And Advent simply means arrival. And so what's the arrival that we're waiting for? It's the arrival of the baby Jesus, of course. It's not a surprise. We know that He's coming, but that doesn't mean we don't look forward to it and wait for it. Advent uh, is a word that just simply means like, like most of us, we're alive when the World Wide Web was founded. We survived the advent of the web. We were here. It, it, it showed up and we kept on going. And so now we're looking for the advent of Jesus, God's only Son, born as a human. And so what we're going to do in this season of, of waiting is we're going to look at four different ways that we meet Jesus in our lifetime. And I've wanted to do this uh, short series for a while, and this just seemed like a good, a good year for it. There's four ways, that, there's a lot of ways that we can meet Jesus, but there's four that we're going to talk about. Today we're going to talk about meeting Jesus in Holy Communion, because we're going to celebrate communion together today. And then next week, Ryan is going to do a message on we can meet Jesus in baptism. And then after that, we're invited to meet Jesus in prayer. And then the first people that went to visit the baby Jesus brought gifts. So how is it that we can meet Jesus in gifts that we bring? And so the next four weeks, all of them are going to very much be based out of Scripture. We're going to talk about different ways as we look forward to Christmas that we can meet Jesus in our lifetime. So today, the Lord's Supper, 2,000 years ago, Jesus gathered with His disciples in the upper room. And it was the last night of His life. It was significant to him. The disciples seemed to be kind of putting it off, not wanting to believe that what was happening was real. But 2,000 years ago, he gathered with them. On the night before he was crucified, and unfortunately what's happened is that a lot of churches and a lot of denominations have changed the words that Jesus spoke in order to meet the theology that they want to be true, what they want Jesus to have said. Now, I recognize that we gather here on a Sunday morning and we come from a lot of different faith traditions. Some of you have no faith tradition at all. This whole idea of going to church is very brand new to you. Thank you for being here because it takes, it takes a brave person to get up and go to church for the first time. Some of you grew up as Lutherans and some of you grew up as Roman Catholics and some Baptist or Presbyterian or Methodist or there's all kinds of different denominations and many of them have slightly different teachings on what Holy Communion really means. So today, what I want to do is talk about Holy Communion, but I I want to present it in such a way that we use the Bible to explain it. Not in a denominational understanding or or a theology or where we've changed the words but rather, what is it that the Bible says that Holy Communion should mean to us? What did Jesus Himself say about it? So I want to start out and give a little bit of background, a little bit of history. Something I've never, ever heard preached about before, but my eyes were really open to this possibility when we were in the Holy Land about a year ago. Uh, the, the pastor that led the tour pulled me aside a number of times and, and he would just kind of give me a little bit of insight. And this is one of the things I spent an awful lot of time in the last year reading about. And so I'm going to share it with you now. We understand that the meal that Jesus gathered with his disciples to share was the Passover meal. Everybody was in Jerusalem from all over the place because that was the big celebration of the year. That bit of Jewish history, the, the history of the Israelites was celebrated and it was a big, big deal. We hear about it in a number of places in the Bible. Luke actually records Jesus as saying this. 
I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. The problem was is that when we take a look at the night that Jesus spent with the disciples in the upper room and the events that were to follow, it seems that the calendar could possibly be off a little bit. And so either this is like a Passover meal or it was something that was at least a little bit different. And since Jesus said, I desire to eat this meal with you, Jesus and the disciples were actually celebrating a Passover meal, but it looks like it was maybe a day early. And the reason that that might have been is that they may have been honoring the tradition of the Essenes, a smaller group within the Jewish people who seemed to have been the ones that had a bridge between the history of the Jewish people and then this new movement called the early Christian church. How can we say that? Well, there's some things that point to it, but when we look in Luke 22.10, Jesus tells Peter and John, I'm going to send you into town and you're going to find a place for us to meet. And the way that you're going to know what it is, is look for a man who's carrying a water basin on his head. Follow him and enter the house that he walks into. Well, that just reading, it doesn't seem like a very big deal. People carried water basins on their head all the time. The problem was Jewish men didn't. The people who did, the men who would have carried water basins on their head, would have been the Essene men. For, for the other Jewish men, that was women's work, and they simply wouldn't have done it. But Jewish men who were Essenes did help carry water. And that one little thing that's so easy to overlook in Scripture might be a really big clue to us. What also is important to note is that at this Passover meal, all of the Gospel writers are so specific about what happened. They're very clear about who was there, about it seems everything that Jesus did, all of His actions, down to the bread and the wine that they shared. But the one thing that none of the Gospel writers talk about is the one thing that would have been present at every Passover meal. And that was the main part of the meal that, that takes them all the way back in history. What would have been present would have been the Lamb. And how come none of them talk about the Lamb that would have been the central part of the meal? Well, because we know Jesus Himself was the Lamb, the perfect Lamb of God. So what he did is he took this historical tradition that they had as the Jewish people. And he gathers his disciples and he joins it together with his own life and his own purpose for being. The perfect Lamb of God is at the Passover meal and he is the Lamb. And rather than pointing to the history of the Jewish people, he draws in the history... He puts himself in the middle of what's going on and he points to the future, both theirs and ours. And what we realize is that there's a lot more going on in this time that he gathered with his disciples than we read if we just go quickly through the passages. In a little while, I'm going to speak what we've come to know as the words of institution, the, the passages of Scripture that Jesus spoke just before he handed out the elements of bread and wine to the disciples. But it's important to note that in the final hours of his life, Jesus knew what was coming. He knew what was going to happen on this night, and he knew what was going to happen in the morning. He knew what was going to happen through the day, and he knew that within 24 hours, he would be dying on a cross. So you think about that last time that you've got to spend with your closest friends, the, the last time that you get to speak to them, the, the things that you say are going to be extremely important. You're going to want them to remember the stuff that you'll never, ever want them to forget. And so, you know, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't preach a sermon. He preached a lot of sermons, but he didn't on this night. 
We've looked at a lot of parables that Jesus taught, and he, he didn't teach a parable. It's interesting because what he did was to share a meal with them. A meal where he was the focus, where he was the message. He was the sermon that he preached. He was the parable. It was him that they were supposed to remember. Not a sermon, not a parable like he taught so many of it. It was him. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus became the living sermon. He became the living parable. So go back 2,000 years, and he's in this upper room with his disciples. And it's important to note that this includes Judas. Because if you've read any of this before, you know what Judas ends up doing. Judas is the one who ends up betraying Jesus to the Jewish leaders who hand him over to the Roman authorities, who put him in a couple of mock trials only to have him flogged and tortured and carry half of his cross to the hill and then put to death for something that he never did. Judas... That got all of that started was, was here at this meal, and Jesus knew it. He knew his role, and yet here he is as this very significant piece of the first Lord's Supper. So we know that nothing is coincidence. We know that nothing is accident. We know that he didn't just happen to show up even if Jesus didn't want him there. He was supposed to be there. He was a part of this drama that was being played out, a real-life sermon. And so what Jesus says and does at this last gathering is so important, and we need to realize who is there and the role that they all play. What Jesus does is he gathers the disciples for this meal, and the meal would have been different than what we're used to. Rather than a table with chairs around it like we're used to, they would have had a very low table that would have sat on the floor. There would have been pillows, and they would have all reclined on the pillows rather than sitting on chairs at a table. There would have been much more on the ground, and there would have been completely close to the food and the table. And so they had a tradition. And the tradition was that the lowest servant in the house, typically a boy or a girl or a very old person, would go around with a wash basin and a towel. And after they'd removed their sandals, he'd wash their feet. But Jesus instead takes a basin filled with water, puts a towel over his arm, and begins to work his way around the table, washing the feet and drying them of all of the disciples, including Judas. Now, the Bible doesn't do much more than tell us that that's what he did, but we need to understand the significance and the role that he was playing. What he was saying to them is, I know who I am. I know my purpose. But understand that I'm the one who's serving you. And there was some dialogue that some of the other Gospels include, but it wasn't lost on those early disciples. Then the Bible tells us in Verse 21 of Matthew 26, it says, As they were eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. They were very sorrowful, and they began to say to him, one after the other, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Well, that pointed to only one person, and they all knew it. There was only one guy at the table who had done that. That guy, of course, was Judas. Jesus now identifies Judas as his betrayer, the one who would hand him over to his death, and yet he doesn't exclude him from the rest of the evening, because in verse 26, it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus' words are very simple. 
It's an almost identical telling in each of the Gospels that records it. Small changes, but the point comes across the same every time. But what's been interesting in the 2,000 years since Jesus spoke those words is that it's a little bit like Adam and Eve back in the garden because when the serpent confronted Eve and said, did God really say? And Eve changed the words of what God said to be a little more comfortable to her. And what's happened in 2,000 years in many, many Christian churches, we have changed ever so subtly the words that Jesus spoke that last night of His life. They're so important that in Luke's Gospel, Luke even records that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of Me. You would think we'd want to get that spot on, wouldn't we? To know exactly what Jesus intended, exactly what He wanted us to know. Let's take a closer look at what He really said. He said He takes the bread. So there would have been one large loaf of bread, more than likely, and He would have broken it into a number of smaller pieces, very much the custom to this day in nations and countries and cultures that surround the Mediterranean. We take pieces of bread and and we cut them just because it's simply easier for us to serve communion that way. But Jesus would have taken this bread and He would have broken it. And He said, take and eat. This is my body. Jesus knew what was ahead. We get to look back now with hindsight and know exactly what He was talking about. Jesus took this loaf of bread and He broke it and He said, take and eat. This is my body. Jesus knew that within 24 hours His body was going to be broken. He knows that he's going to be betrayed by one of his own that's sitting at the table with him. He knows that he's going to be handed over to the Jewish authorities who are going to in turn hand him over to the Roman authorities, that he's going to face trials that he doesn't stand a chance in, that he's going to be tied and flogged and beaten. He's going to have a crossbeam laid over his shoulders that he's got to walk through town all the way out to the place that he'll be crucified, that he'd be nailed to the cross and he'd be left until he's dead. In 24 hours, Jesus knew that it was his body that would be broken. So what Jesus is telling them and what Jesus is telling us, and we have to be clear, is that bread is a reminder that in communion, it is His sacrificial death on the cross, which was a gift for all of us. He was literally broken for our sins. Isaiah 53, long before the Messiah showed up, says this, but He, and we know this is Jesus He's talking about, But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds, we are healed. When Jesus says that, take and eat. And He gives it to all of them. Because His death is for everybody. Jesus died for everybody that would have Him. Then He goes on and He says, drink of it. He takes the cup and He says, drink of it all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is the statement that so many churches change because we want everybody to go to heaven. Some, some, some churches have actually changed the words of Jesus to give us the false hope that everybody gets to go. It doesn't matter what you believe. Jesus, however, is very, very clear. When we read carefully, the blood of the covenant, that's the good news of eternal life that God offers us through the sacrificial death and the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is very clear what this is about. But then there's this this new promise, he says, is poured out for many. Unlike the bread, he was broken for everyone. But this new covenant, this promise of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins, that's for many. That's not for everyone. 
And it isn't because God wouldn't want it to be for everyone. It's because not everyone chooses to accept that promise. Not everyone chooses to receive it and to live in it. This is where every one of us has a place here. See, the forgiveness of sins offered through the atoning death and resurrection of Jesus, he makes clear, is offered to everyone, but it's not for all people. It's for many. His death is for all who believe in him. Forgiveness and salvation and eternal life and the hope that comes with them are a gift offered to everyone, but not everyone receives it. Not everyone will accept it. Many, yes. But Jesus was clear that it doesn't say everyone. And the fact of the matter is, there's still people out there, people who come to church every Sunday, who live outside a personal relationship with Jesus. There's, pers- there's people out there who know the passages. They know the truth. But they've never accepted Jesus beyond their Savior. Thanks for forgiving my sins, God. They've never put Jesus as their Lord. And when Jesus talks about the bread and the wine, His body was broken for everyone. But the new covenant is only for those who believe. So those who are not included in the many are the ones who simply do not accept Jesus for who He is during their lifetime. When we celebrate communion, we we do so because Jesus commanded us to remember Him. Jesus commanded us to understand what's really going on, what's really happening here, and to remember Him. And it's interesting that He uses something as simple and common as bread and wine. Pretty much everywhere in the world at any given time, there is some version of both of those. They're not hard things to find. They are as common as common can be. So we use bread and the fruit of the vine, whether it's wine or grape juice. And and when we do, what we receive is not salvation, but an unmerited gift, an undeserved gift of God's grace that breaks through time and space. And it shows us how great God's love is for us as it brings both the memory and the presence of Jesus alive among us. That's what's happening when we share in Holy Communion. When we follow His command, when we remember Him, when we recite and repeat His words accurately, we're reminded of how much God loves us and what it is that Jesus did for us and that He is here with us. His memory is lifted up in His promise. The new covenant that He talks about is reinforced once again, not by anything that we do, but because of what God has done for us in Jesus. That is what Holy Communion is about. You're not saved because you take Holy Communion. Communion reminds us of what Jesus did so that we could be saved. John records chapter 6, starting in verse 53. He says, So Jesus said to them, and this is one that troubles a lot of people, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. People have chosen to criticize and mock and to put an end to their belief in Jesus because of those words. And they say, gross, who would ever talk like that? And you lift up those words and you take them completely out of context with everything else that Jesus taught us. And it's easy to take that position. But you know what? We can't because Jesus is just being consistent 
with what He has said throughout His ministry. So people distort the meaning along with the power of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. See, Jesus many, many times in His life said something. At the beginning of the meal, He takes the bread and He broke it and He gave it to them and said, Take and eat. This is My body broken for you. How many times in His life does Jesus say, I am the bread of life? This isn't new. This isn't like Jesus is taking off on a different tangent. He's continuing what He has said over and over and over. Furthermore, He said over and over and over in His life, out of Me and then out of us will flow streams of living water. This idea of becoming one with Him. See, He truly is the sacrificial lamb and He uses the language of the original Passover when the Israelites were in Egypt. And He connects this meal with the disciples, to the Passover that they know and celebrate, but also to the future that they have yet to experience. So in the original Passover, the Israelites are in bondage in Egypt. They're slaves. They're not there because they want to be there. They're because they have to be there. They're captives. And God has sent plagues. There have been nine of them to this point. And what He does is He sends word. And He says, what you need to do is there's going to become a plague and the destroyer is going to kill the firstborn male of all the houses of Egypt. And what you need to do is sacrifice a lamb and you need to take its blood and you need to paint it over the doorposts of your home. And when the destroyer comes at night, he will know that this is a house of an Israelite because of the blood of the lamb. The blood of what lamb? The lamb of the covenant of God's promise. And the destroyer will do what? He will pass over all of those homes and their firstborn will not die. That's the celebration that they were celebrating in Jerusalem that night. Remembering when God passed over and allowed their firstborn throughout Egypt to live. Jesus is connecting that event... His own sacrificial death, which will happen in 24 hours, and the promise of the new covenant, all in one meal that we now call the Lord's Supper. That's what's going on here with these first disciples. When you're told and we're commanded by Jesus to do this in remembrance of me, did you have any idea that's how much He wanted us to remember? It's so easy to just stand up when it's time. We start playing the music. We say all is ready. We take some bread. We take some wine or grape juice. We go sit back down. We don't really think anything of it. And yet when Jesus said to remember him, this is what he was talking about. Remember all of that. Remember what led up to today. Remember what's happening right now, disciples. Because when I'm gone and when the events of the next 24 hours play out, I want you to remember that you were here with me and what I said. Communion is a way that we become one with Jesus. We're connected to Him in His death and His resurrection and His promise of salvation and of eternal life and the hope that we have in Him. For all of us who will believe in Him, not just as our Savior, because that's easy, but as our Lord, the one to whom we submit and give our life. When we take communion, we're not saved by communion. We're saved by the one who we remember in communion. We remember His suffering and His love for us. A love that there's no price, no cost, no depth. There's no extent that He will not go to reach us. The cross is part of God's ultimate love and redemption for you and I. And how it is that He wants Jesus to fill our lives. And yet there are still people who come to church every week who do not understand and know that gift for themselves. What Jesus asks for us in the Lord's Supper is that we proclaim His death for the forgiveness of our sins until He comes again. That's got nothing to do with how hard you try or how good you are. 
What that is, is the new covenant. It's the promise of the new covenant. That hope is God's promise in Jesus. But, but like I said, I realize, I started out at the beginning, I said, not everybody believes that. Not everybody knows and understands. Not everyone that comes forward to receive communion has that promise alive in their heart. We're still the person we've always been. We've never been changed. We have never been the one who receives a new life because of what Jesus did for us. I realize that not all of you that sit here this morning believe in Jesus. You haven't put your hope in Him. You're you're still counting on yourself in this life. You're still counting on being able to try harder, work a little more, be a little stronger, smarter, or tougher. It's easier to point out the sins of others than to accept and acknowledge our own sins. And while Jesus may have died for someone else too, the one that you and I need to be concerned first and foremost is if we accepted the gift and He died for me. Have you accepted the gift and has He died for you? Maybe you're realizing today is your day. Maybe today is the day that you're ready to be born again and accept God's gift of Jesus and His death and resurrection for yourself. You're actually going to take Holy Communion and make it personal. If that's you, we're going to pray here in a minute. If that's you, before you come forward this morning, would you go to one of the places where we've got prayer ministry people in the corners and would you just say, I'm done fighting? I'm done trying to do it on my own? I want to accept Jesus not just as my Savior for the forgiveness of my sins, but I want to accept Jesus as the Lord of my life and I want to submit myself to Him. I want to live for Him, not for me anymore. We've got people in the corners that would love the opportunity to pray with you and to pray for you. But you know what Jesus allows you to do is to say no. Maybe you're thinking, I'll worry about it and I'll, I'll, I'll figure that out later. A couple of weeks ago I talked about Gordon. And you know the thing I didn't say is, Gordon was really blessed to have a mom and a couple of sisters who loved him so much that they called and asked someone who he might listen to to come in and talk to him. And Gordon slid in just under the line. He had two days. And then it was all over for him. But the fact is, you don't know how many days you have. If you're saying, I'm going to deal with Jesus later, I'm happy to live life on my own right now, you may not have much more of your life to live. And I'm not trying to scare you, I'm trying to be honest with you. I sat with a man who was deathly terrified because he knew he was about to die and he knew where he was going. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior today, would you please, please confront that issue in your life? He's already died and given his life that your sins could be forgiven and you would have new life. But you have to accept that gift. Let's pray. God, thank You for what You have done for us in Your Son, Jesus. Thank You, God, that He did for us what we cannot do, and that is to pay the price for our sin. Because the price of sin is death, and if we live a life outside of a relationship with Him, our death is eternally separated from You. But because of Him, because of His death and resurrection and the new covenant that He talks about, our hope can be in You. So God, if there's people here, maybe they've been coming to church their whole life, maybe today is the first time in a long time or ever. God, if there's people who are ready to give up their fight, they're tired of trying and trying and trying and always coming up short and always feeling guilty and always carrying the baggage of of their sin, 
God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in their hearts right now, that you would, you would give them a boldness, that they would, in fact, step to talk to one of our prayer people and just tell them, I want Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. So that when they come forward and receive communion, it truly is receiving the hope of the promise of the new covenant in Him. For the rest of us, God, maybe we've strayed, maybe we've gotten a little ways away. Or maybe our, our fire for you is burning as, as hot and bright as it ever has. God, what we thank you for is that night that Jesus spent with his disciples where he knew what was coming. And in no uncertain terms, he told us what to remember. That we should remember him. His broken body and his shed blood for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You know, as I was putting this one together this week, I, I had this realization not of what Jesus went through, because I can't begin to imagine. But I have this realization that so many of us live lives with the same want. We want desperately to be loved. We want somebody to notice, notice us and love us. We want to believe that there's somebody out there that would do absolutely anything for us. That, that they love us so completely that there's nothing that they would not do, and yet we have this person, we have Jesus who's already done everything for us, who loved you when you were the most unlovable. And before we even knew who He was, He hung on a cross and He gave His life for you. So this week, as you have been reminded and strengthened of who Jesus is and what He did for you as we were reminded in Holy Communion, go out and live this week like you're worth dying for because Jesus sure thought you were.